0: Welcome to Life Happens, where Texans come to protect their legacy and prepare for the second half of life. Join your host, attorney Kim Hegwood, with Hegwood Law Group and our weekly guest as we navigate the challenges that emerge as life happens.
1: Now here's your host, Kim Hegwood. Good morning. Welcome to Life Happens. Today we have a very special guest. It's uh, Robin Horn. And, uh, and Robin uh, owns a company, it's, a, it's a just H-I-S Cornerstone, right? Yes. And, um, so does the H-I-S actually stand for something? Well, it's a long story. Uh, it's, um, it's horn in services,
0: but it there certainly has a biblical uh, spin to it as well, so. Oh, yeah. awesome.
1: And so yeah. today we're going to be talking with Robin about activity and communication with people with dementia. Um, we talk a lot about dementia these days because dementia diagnosis is on the rise. And so, so we're just going to kind of chit chat about some different things. And um, and one of the things I'm curious about is is um, why is it important to develop a, a daily activity plan for people who have dementia?
0: That's a great question. Um, I my background a little bit is I was a an Alzheimer's assisted living uh, facility administrator, and so um, developed that sense of urgency to make sure that all of our residents uh, had a plan for the day and keep in mind, and whether they're in a facility or whether they're living at home with a caregiver, um, keep in mind that activities is everything that we do, taking a bath. It's not just playing cards and and those kind of things. So to develop a plan, I think the first and foremost, the reason to do this, and actually write it down, maybe in half hour, hour increments, um, to keep a routine. Because with with Alzheimer's, one of the main things we want to do is reduce anxiety. There's so much anxiety that comes with that diagnosis. And so the more routine you can stay in, the better. I'll give you an example. In, in my facility, of uh, people would want to, so the families would want to come in and take their loved ones out for the holidays. And the first thing I said is beware because that routine is broken and, and it causes um, some anxiety, some stress for not only the caregivers, but Specifically, the person with dementia. So, developing that daily plan is
1: very important. And so, it really doesn't matter what they do as long as they stay consistent. Is that basically the right? And we can we can talk about
0: some things that they can do, but it's really just you know getting up in the morning um, at the at mostly the same time, having breakfast, um, just getting that routine down. Um, the longer the caregiver or the professional caregiver uh, follows that routine, the more it will become ingrained in the person with Alzheimer's and it will make life easier for everybody. So, yeah.
1: So what kind of things do you think a caregiver needs to kind of keep in mind when they're developing this plan? Because, you know, everybody's different, uh, different stages of dementia. So what do you think is, is most important? And let's just kind of walk through some examples.
0: Sure. Um, I use the I love acronyms. And so if, if those of you who are listening want to remember this, um, I call it PAPA, <laughs> the PAPA acronym. It's, it's keeping in mind the person. And I can go over each of these in, in a little bit of detail if you want. But keeping in mind the person and the activity itself, what the activity itself looks like. And then looking um, at the place where that activity is taking place. And then finally, the approach. How are you going to approach the activity or the daily plan? So, um, I don't know if any of your readers or listeners have heard of the um, book Creating a Moment of Joy uh, by Jolene Brackey. It's one of my favorites. She was an activity director of an Alzheimer's facility. And she said, In your daily plan, it, you should use every opportunity to create a moment of joy. And I love what she says about that. She used an example of a, a one of her residents was a fly fisherman, and she happened to ask her his daughter to bring in a, a fishing pole, fly fishing pole, and and they created a whole activity out of him pretending like he was putting the line on and showing her how to do it and casting it out into the water per se, and um, and the smiles that happened that day, and she. She says that, that when you can bring joy into everything that you're doing, easier said than done. I've, I've, I am a caregiver. Actually, my mother-in-law has Alzheimer's, and so um, I help my father-in-law a lot in developing that plan. So again, easier said than done, but, but you really want to look at, if I can go into the, the papa example, you want to look at the person. Um, you know, We had a program at our Alzheimer's facility called the Best Friends Program where we actually partnered one of our um, residents with a caregiver, with a professional aide, a caregiver. Um, and their job, the, care, the professional caregiver's job was to learn everything they could about that particular resident. Who they are, what, they're, what they did for a living, um, what they enjoy, what they like, what they didn't like. And you can develop a plan based on that. We have to remember that the person with Alzheimer's is still that person. They just have, have an illness, they have a disease, and we know that that Alzheimer's is a disease. Um, and so we need to remember who that person is. Um, example of my, my mother-in-law, um, she lives alone with my, with my father-in-law, and uh, she was um, June Cleaver, you know what I'm talking about? Um, so <laughs> in her life uh, as June Cleaver, she cooked and baked and cleaned and just took care of the household. And I had to remind my father-in-law the other day we have to remember that's who she is. So when you're trying to figure out what you're going to do all day, every day, keep that in mind that her activities, her day needs to revolve around the person that she is and what's important to her. So, so that's um, the person. And then, um, you know, the activity itself, that's the next part um, enjoyment, really, again, creating that joy. It's not about getting something accomplished. Um, an example would be uh, like my grandmother, she had Alzheimer's as well, and, and I used to play Scrabble with her. And there got to be a point where she couldn't finish playing Scrabble. She, it, she couldn't put the words together. So instead of trying to make sure that we did that activity, we just altered the activity based on how she could do it. So it's really about that, that activity itself. Um, again, with my mother-in-law, we make sure that she cooks. And that she is able to clean and we put a dust rag in her hand because that, that's natural to her to do those things. Uh, full clothes, all of those things. Uh, one Thanksgiving, she uh, she won't, she loves to cook. Right. One Thanksgiving, she made the potato casserole and forgot to cook the potatoes. And so, <laughs> again, it's about enjoyment, not achievement. Um, the grandkids were great about just chewing on the, chewing on the potatoes, but um, we didn't want to steal that time from her to be able to cook because that's her thing. So, um, and then when you look at the a the or, or the place, you want to make sure that the place is safe first and foremost. So when you're evaluating the daily plan, um, where are you having those activities? All quick example in my nursing home, I was a nursing home administrator as well. Um, Our activity director was new on the scene and she uh, was doing some painting activities. Some had dementia, some of the residents did, some did not. And she put out the juice cup, right? Paintbrush. And then the other cup, which looked identical to the juice cup, had the water in it that they were supposed to dip their paintbrush in. So you can imagine what happened. The, uh, <laughs> they were all dipping, those those women were all dipping, you know, drinking the the paint water and dipping. And um, it was all safe. Uh, we ended up figuring it out very quickly. But you've got to make sure the environment is safe where it is and, and free of distractions. Um, turning the TV off, uh, turning off the buzzer on the dryer, little things like that. Anything that is a distraction um, is is important to eliminate as best possible. So, Um, and then finally, the way you approach the activity, and that's kind of a a hard one, but the way you approach that is um, relaxed, (laughs) easier said than done. I use that phrase a lot, but just try to be as relaxed as possible. Um, Offer supervision. The last thing we want to do is take away their ability to still be able to perform. And so it's offering supervision, not doing the activity for them. It would be so detrimental if I just went over and set the table at my mother-in-law's house because she can do it, maybe with a little supervision, but she can still do it. And so we want to make sure of that. And then uh, big, big, hard thing to do is to when you're approaching the activity is not to criticize Um I, I get I get on to my father in law a lot. He's the most patient man, but um, it doesn't do any good. You know, you've worked with Alzheimer's and dementia. It does no good to criticize. All it does is get them flustered and it cause more of that. What we're trying to eliminate, which is that anxiety. So um, making sure and including them in the conversation, no matter where they are in the in the scheme of things, making sure that we're including them. Um, talking with them throughout. One of my pet peeves at my Alzheimer's facility is I would go back to the area where the residents, some of them needed to be fed and my caregivers were talking over the residents about what they did that day or or what they did that evening or what their plans were. And I would constantly remind them, talk to the residents while you're feeding them. Include them in this. Don't, um, Don't exclude them. So, um, so that's kind of my my papa analogy or, or acronym to to really look at those four
1: areas when you're planning a daily activity. So, no, that's that's great information. I appreciate it immensely. Good. And, uh, so, so what kind of you know since we're talking about communicating and I'm um, talking about caregivers communicating and things like that, what are some strategies in communicating that would help caregivers um, for the people that they're helping to take care of?
0: That's, um, you know, the Alzheimer's Association does uh, spends hours and hours on this type of training because communication is key with Alzheimer's and, and dementia. And so um, just some simple things, uh, gaining their attention. Don't yell at them across the room. Walk up to them. Look them in the eye. Gain their attention. Um, I used to, um, all my residents would walk up to them when I was communicating with them and say, hey, it's Robin. Because I don't know that they remember who I am, but it's okay. I'm like, hey, it's Robin, how are you? And then call the resident by, or the, the person with dementia by their name as well. Uh, the name that they the name that's familiar to them, the name that they like to be called. So, um, so important, um, be attentive. You know, this is communication 101 with anybody, but put away the cell phones and all the distractions, because the more distracted you are, the more they will not follow you. And again, the key to the daily plan is to keep things calm and free of of anxiety. So making sure, um, one of the things that I used to train my caregivers on is don't use pronouns. And I know that sounds funny. They're like, don't use pronouns. But when you say, hey, they're going to the show or, or we're going to do this, often they don't know who you're talking about. So um, I say, make sure you use the person's name. Your daughter Sally is coming to visit you today. The more you can connect with your communication, the better. No matter where they are on the spectrum of the of the disease process, and um, and so again, those are just some some ways. Um, one of the biggest things um, that is out there is what we call reality orientation. I'm sure you're familiar with it. Um, Reality orientation back when I started, on dating myself back in the early 90s, reality orientation meant that if today is Friday, we need to make sure that the person with dementia knows today is Friday. And if the year is 2021, we need to make sure they know that they are living in 2021. Well, that's gone. <laughs> what a uh, reality orientation is, is meet them where they are. Meet them in their reality. Make sure uh, that, that you do that. Um, quick example, if you don't mind me sharing one of my um, favorite residents, we're not supposed to have them, but one of my favorite residents in my facility um, was a vice president, was a vice president of finance at a major uh, furniture company. So reality orientation says to me, I walk in, I check out what's going on the facility. I walk over to Dan and I say, Dan, and he thinks I'm his secretary. So I am his secretary, right? So I walk over and sometimes I even have a pad and paper in my hand, you know, a pad and a pen. And what's on the agenda for today, Dan? So not only am I in his reality, but I'm playing a part of his reality. Um, And so sometimes he'd give me some tasks to do and I'd leave and go do my work. Right. And come back with an envelope for him to, uh, you know, address or look at something I want him to proofread. So I, I really tried to, and I, and we tried to do this with all of our residents. This was just one example of, um, but the example of the other thing that i like to say with reality orientation is, is distraction is another communication skill with, with Dan. One day he told me, he said, I said, what's on the agenda? And he said, Hey, it's time to, to, you know, we need to look at the book, see how we did for them up. Okay. So I go away and come back and I say, Dan, we've had a great month. We've really, we've got like a $40,000 profit this month. And the look on his face was devastating because evidently that's not, a, that's not good. They, they <laughs> need a lot more money than what I said. And so he got irate. He started pounding his wheelchair, the arms on his wheelchair. And he's like, that's just, we got to call the board of directors. Something's wrong. Something's majorly wrong. And, So I remembered the communication technique of distraction. I said, you know what, Dan, you are right. But you know what, it's time for lunch. Why don't we go to lunch, sit down, we'll talk a little bit, we'll get a good meal in, and then afterwards we'll call the board of directors. Well, guess what? (laughs) I take him to lunch and what happens within 30 minutes of eating really almost instantaneously, he's forgotten about the budget and all of those things. And so we can move on with the day. So so a big communication strategy is meeting them where they are. And when they start to become anxious, the art of destruction, trying to get them away from this, what I call just this cycle of of behavior, so
1: yeah. So how does a caregiver anticipate some of these triggers? Like you didn't know that uh, 40,000 wasn't a good profit. (laughs) Oh, I just, I certainly didn't. That's a that's a great
0: question. Um, the the triggers are you. It's like you have to be a detective, if that makes sense. And believe me, spending uh, my career doing that, trying to figure out. And when you finally get it, it's so rewarding. But um, but yeah, you have to look at. Okay, is are they physically uncomfortable? Is there something that's causing them to be anxious or causing a behavior? That is because they've got a tooth abscess, or they've got a UTI, a bladder infection, something like that. You know, so you start to detect, but you really look at what happened right before the unwanted behavior, I call it, and then uh, and then what was were you able to do to calm them down to get them back into a place where you uh, can communicate with them again. And so, um, if I could give you an example with again my mother in law, um, her trigger. We've discovered her trigger for her, she's normally very sweet and kind, um, but she can get pretty anxious and pretty irate um, when her trigger is that she knows that someone is coming to visit. Because remember what her goal in life is, is to take care of people and with food. And and so we may call and say, we're coming next week for a visit. And Norm, my father-in-law started telling me that he doesn't even tell her that we're coming for the visit until the day before because she gets so anxious and she spends the whole week trying to cook and clean and, and do all those things that she would normally do. So, so the trigger is us coming, although as coming helps in her, in her disease process, it helps the caregiver more than anything. But, uh, but we've learned to alter our behavior based on her trigger, which is, is us coming. And so we've also got a little bored, that says um, who is who is exactly coming, what time we're arriving, and the date. Um, and it sits in front of her chair. So the day before, my father-in-law will put that in front of her chair so that she can see Robin and Jeff and the kids are coming on this day tomorrow. Um, and then we also, as a trigger, um, we realize that she starts planning the meals. And um, we have gotten to the point where we bring the meals because it's, it's easier. She, we When we prepare the meals while we're there, she helps. And that's the big part. But we bring the menu. And so what we do is we now email a menu to my father-in-law that goes on the refrigerator so that she sees that all the meals are taken care of. And so she doesn't get anxious about having to go to the store and buy all of the, um, the stuff. So I, I hope that's a an example of of a trigger. There's all sorts of triggers. You just have to, you have to look to see what is causing that anxiety, what is causing them. And again, looking right before it happens to see if something went awry in in that. Um, It could be distracting noises. I give the example of um, on 9-11. Everybody remembers where we all were on 9-11 that day. And I drove into my facility, I just heard the report and Drove into my facility and went in, and all the TVs were blaring with reports. Right, the the world was crashing down before our eyes, and the fires, and and so that was a trigger because then all of our men who were in this generation were trying to get back to their rooms to get on their uniforms and get their their rifles and get their guns because they thought we were at war and they thought that we needed to go fight, and so the trigger was what the television. It was the news. We had to turn all the TVs off. It took a couple of hours to get them calmed down. Um, So really just, again, being a detective, being a sleuth (laughs) and trying to figure that out again, say
1: it again, easier said than done, but (laughs) yeah. And so Robin, I appreciate all the information that you've given today and uh, your own personal personal experiences, because I think, um, you know, from a storytelling view, you learn a lot from stories. And, um, and so, so it's really important to see how, how real life interacts with, you know, some of the things, you know, that we talk about on the show. And so I just want to thank you for coming and, um, and I'm sure we'll see each other again soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of life happens with Kim Hegwood. Be sure to tune in every Thursday at 10 AM, wherever you listen to your podcast, as we navigate through the challenges that emerge as life happens. The content of this podcast does not establish an attorney-client relationship or constitute attorney-client
1: privilege, legal, medical, financial, or any other professional advice.